Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, BladeDisgusting.com's Dead Pixels horror video game podcast, delivering a horrifying new episode every Monday. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bolt. And this week, we're going in a less traditional direction than most might assume. Rather than running down a list of the scariest or goriest games we've ever played for uh, the Halloween season, we decided to highlight some of our favorite introductory horror games that uh, serve as sort of just a great stepping stone uh, in terms of experiences that helped us come into our lifetime love of the horror genre. So in the past, Neil, you and I have highlighted the importance of accessibility for the horror genre, whether it be games or movies, right? And I think that often that can lead, that kind of like label can lead to a portion of genre fans maybe being dismissive of anything labeled like family-friendly or they might label it as something along the lines of like, oh, that's a kid's game. But I think in our experience, and we're going to obviously share some of those, there's a lot of games that have horror influences, whether or not it's actually like a a primarily focused horror game. It could be an adjacent genre that has a lot of horror influence. And I mean, there's been so many examples of that, not only recently, but I think over the years that have a tendency to get overlooked. Um, And I wanted to take it a step back for a second and something that we probably talked about during the course of a past episode, but since we have this new influx of uh, listeners, thanks to uh, being featured on bladedisgusting.com, I thought we could share sort of just our first experience with a horror game or a horror genre, whether it was a traditional horror game or if it was a game that had maybe elements that resembled horror that kind of made us more interested in the genre. Yeah, for me, I think, in terms of like the first horror-led thing that uh, came out of nowhere was probably Echo the Dolphin, um, which uh, notoriously got a bit um, iffy towards the later part of that game where you started, uh, not only did you have to face sharks and run away from them, which you know, for me already was like, uh, even if you're being a dolphin, that's awful. But then <laughs> when it, it went to the weird alien worlds sort of digress stuff that happens later in that game was just genuinely like distressing especially with the noises obviously when Echo gets hurt the, the midi style noise of him bleating is just oh at the best of times but yeah you hear it a lot during those last hours <laughs> but yeah it was a really cool sort of place to sort of get a bit of um, horror and it sticks with you because it's, when it's most un- unexpected that it gets you know if you get given a game and said this is a scary game this is a horror game you can embrace yourself with that, that a little bit. Mm. And I think there it was where you just didn't expect it. It just really did just come out of nowhere in terms of that game. You know, you games that dealt with like spooky things or whatever, but it was never, it was always set dressing, if you will. Mm. Whereas this, this just genuinely went into this strange, new, and disturbing place that uh, in an already alien environment, it crossed you know, my fear of the ocean. Uh, being so deep with the inky black alien oceans you know it's even worse and it was just so impactful you know for as fiddly as that game is to play today it's still just remarkable how well it it can hit you still now what it does I think that's really interesting that you said along the lines of it being more about how the game felt rather than it being this sort of very traditional horror moments or something Mm. like that, right? It was that first sort of feeling that you almost can't really, I guess, I suppose, because of the age at which we experienced our first horror games, right? It's it's a game that feels familiar and yet it makes you feel a very distinctly different way. And 
I would attribute your experiences to one similar to my own. That is um, the first time I played like Donkey Kong Country when you have the underwater sections. And I just remember the feeling of claustrophobia in going underwater and having to maneuver these different tight environments. But then there's also like, I think they're puffer fish or something that you have to avoid and whatnot. And just the sort of reluctance to explore areas like that in a quick manner and wanting to be very slow and kind of like careful but at the same time I believe there was like an element where you could drown or something like that and Mm. I remember that that from an early age instilled a lifelong fear of like aquatic horror in me that I would never have thought and nobody I assume would go into any kind of like cutesy arcade you play a you play a donkey right you play or you play a monkey and whatnot. it's kind of like the most unlikely of places that you could have an experience like that but at the very end of the day like that visceral experience really sticks with me and that's not i wouldn't say that that's like my first time with a horror game but that's definitely the first time that i encountered elements from an adjacent genre perhaps that has these sort of like primal fear triggers for me still to this day yeah i mean you say that now and that that just brings me back to sonic the hedgehog and Mm. the labyrinth zone and then later chemical plants and just the underwater section those just the stress of knowing the countdown is going to be coming and the music that just hits us in that countdown is yeah, <laughs> iconic it is probably the best way to put it it really is just you hear it you hear it you hear it you know it's coming like, every time you're there and it's like it, it is very true what you were saying it's when I think back to it that's probably the first sort of thing that really hit me in terms of an experience like that where it was like Oh Christ! I've got to get out of here. Got to get out of there. Got to get out of there like that. And especially back then, you know, when you don't really have save states, you are pretty much doing it in a run, and it becomes so dread-inducing. It is mm-hmm. remarkable, and it is just, you know, like a lot of good horror, it mines very reasonable fears, you know, that people have, and drowning is, is one of them, or <laughs> not being able to, and not being able to move fast enough to escape something. It is, and that combines both. And yeah, totally. There's a uh, a certain sense that something is nipping at your heels without having like having yeah. to outrun the screen or whatnot. At least in uh, the experience that I had. But I think that the game that really introduced me to my lifelong love of horror, and we have a whole episode on the recent uh, the recently released port of it, was uh, Zombies Ate My Neighbors, mm. which was along with uh, Ghoul Patrol, which was sort of like a sequel, but it doesn't really share a lot of similarities with the original game but that was ported over the summer we had a whole episode on that that i I hope people go back and listen to because it's one that uh means a lot to me and it shaped a lifelong love of horror and yet that's a perfect example i think of a game that has the perfect combination of obviously fun arcadey gameplay but also it allows a younger audience to experience what i consider to be a very classical but a very pristinely crafted uh, homage to the horror genre, right? And a lot of it is a a homage to like horror films and whatnot through the ages, specifically kind of like the 50s era of horror in a lot of ways. But in experiencing that game at the young age that I did, I was picking up on a lot of references to horror movies that I wasn't necessarily watching at the time. Mm. But at the same time, it was things that I had been exposed to periodically, right? Either I caught one of those like hundred scariest moments ever uh, specials that plays during the Halloween season. So I got to see a glimpse of a Jason or a Chucky movie. 
And then to play this game and see homages to that, right? There's the chainsaw guys in the hedge maze. There's the killer dolls that burst out of the boxes in the shopping mall. I mean, that's a game that has no gore, no blood. It's not necessarily scary in the traditional sense that we talk about nowadays with a lot of horror games, but it was a, for lack of a better phrase, kid-friendly way to further kind of like feed into that curiosity that I had at such a young age of horror. And that was something we talked about in that episode and just how well that game holds up in it being fully aware and being this love letter to horror games. And yet from a gameplay perspective, now it's not just that it's this love letter, but the gameplay abides by a lot of the arcadey gaminess of games of that era. And yet it's both a classical arcade experience on top of this love letter to horror aesthetic. Yeah. I mean, it's like the perfect dovetail to Splatterhouse, if you think about it, which is also very arcadey, also you know, leans heavily into horror, but in a very more adult way. You know, when I say adult, it's more like a teenager's wet dream of an idea of horror <laughs> game. You know, it's it's basically you are a Jason Voorhees type, and right. that's it. So it's, and you know, there are blood and guts and all those things everywhere. And it is. Yeah, it's the bone storm, you know, thing. You know, <laughs> like it's this, oh my god, look, there's blood and guts and all this stuff everywhere, and it's cool and amazing. The same thing that happened later with games like Mortal Kombat and that and Doom, where they're just like, you know, there was glee in that early violence and the thrill of it all. And you know, because many people have grown up in that era, you know, and actually got to see horror gaming happen before their very eyes, you know, that's in this kind of age it's such a privilege when you think about it because you can't say the same about um, television necessarily or even movies because you know they go too far back you know, for anyone to go oh wow yeah I remember when I went to watch this silent film in like, 1886 or whatever and it's like <laughs> but um, yeah so it's pretty special to you've seen that and I think as we discussed before that the current wave gets closer to that 70s era of horror you know in a way but it's kind of like it's worked backwards a bit you know 90s very much felt like the 90s in so many ways in the games and especially uh, the horror felt the same and then I thought we were sort of backtracked into the 80s and now we're back to the 70s a bit where there's more you know in your face stuff more intellectual stuff you know in terms of dealing with horror and that's nice I like that I like that getting that not to say that you know we're still getting this parallel with it where you have this the big budget stuff you know the the Bloomhouse hits hit parade of horror games you know where you'll have games going hey this will remind you of this game and this will remind you of that game you know every year that happens and it's perfectly fine and it keeps everything trudging along just like in the horror movie industry you know all those copycat films that come out over the year and don't really raise any fires or anything but you know, they make some money they keep people interested and then the big hits come and the surprises come and it's wonderful to see it's just lovely to be part of that you know, in this and I think that's what makes it more exciting to talk about because you I think you kind of realise it you're in the moment of horror gaming being something and evolving and changing and like you know it, very much like the movies it, there's a period when it audience were told no you don't want horror movies they're, not, they're, they're boring they're old they're gimmicky they're faddy you know? and then 
they came back with a vengeance. And that's, I guess, that is pretty much at that 70s period where it went from one kind to another. You know, while everyone, there's these few creators, they're making horror that was actually important. They were getting ignored. And then everyone latched on to some good ideas and it went in a great way. And that's, it's, yeah, it, it, you know, I think we also, as horror film fans, it'd be cool to live through some of those exciting periods like the 70s and 80s of horror where, you know, many still lament it as the good old days even when they weren't, you know, probably five, you know, when they happened. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, you'd love to see it. And there's a reason why, because it's, you've got all these exciting, weird things and even now you can sort of unearth these gems you haven't seen. And yeah, it, it's the wonderful thing about it. And so there's so many avenues I think you can just come into it from, you know, and make those kind of discoveries that people used to make where word of mouth will go, oh yeah, but have you heard about this game? This game, like, if you really want to get into it, you can get down this rabbit hole of great and exciting things and play things you never expected. And that's wonderful, you know, that's, and just like anywhere else, there's a whole avenue for everyone else who just wants the, the old experience. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a great time the last 10 years or so to sort of get into horror as a young person in, in gaming. Well, I think it's, you know, that's just kind of like the soapbox that we've, uh, we've both stood upon at one point or another in our uh, time podcasting together. This idea that it's like, well, there is a certain portion of the genre fans where it's like, well, anything that is not M and is not like visceral and gruesome and gory and whatnot. Well, that's just like kid stuff when in actuality, if you're going to have that mindset, it's like, well, not everybody has parents that let them absorb whatever kind of media they want and all these things. Certain people aren't going to have access or even know about, like not everybody has the cool cousin or the cool older brother who's like, oh, check out this thing. This is wild. Like you're not going to have that. And I think that that's even, that's probably, I guess in the age of technology, it's easier to get access to certain things. And yet it's just the knowledge portion that, I mean, if you don't have like an older brother or older friends or something that are experiencing certain things, Who's to say, if you're not out there searching for it, that you'll ever come across it? And this is something that I think when you're talking about introductory to horror experiences in games, you can't assume, like, the love of genre doesn't necessarily come from all those kind of uh, descriptions that I just gave, right? Mm -hmm. Those are elements of the genre that I love, but at the end of the day, it's not necessarily my first and foremost love of horror, especially talking games. It's more about, as a game is this fun to play right that's kind of like the obvious thing that you go into every game thinking like am i having fun playing this in a broad sense and so i think especially like you said over the last 10 years seeing so many developers developing games for wider audiences that have horror and of course it's varying degrees of leaning into that Mm. but i think that it's so vital to again thinking of the, like the next generation of fans, which sounds like a very kind of like, oh, looking into a hundred years in the future or whatever, but it's very much in like the older I get, it's the more emphasis I think needs to be placed on that because it's like, again, not everybody is going to fall into the most extreme types of horror and be a fan no. of it automatically, right? You kind of have to ease yourself into it in certain regards, right? Everybody's different, but I think if you're talking about like main, getting more of a mainstream audience on board with horror, it has to be a, sl- a gradual introduction or it has to be something that takes elements of horror, but it's incorporating it as something that feels familiar. And for me, the game that I think within the last 
10 or so years, that's a fantastic example of that is something like Plants vs. Zombies, right? Mm. The, the one from PopCap, which PopCap, by all accounts, is a very sort of casual, they develop games for a casual audience, right? These sort of, yeah. these arcade style games. It's not necessarily like the most in-depth games in the traditional sense, but at the same time, there's an addictive quality to them because it is oh, yeah. the most, it's simplistic, but it's the most pristinely crafted gameplay mechanics of a simple concept something like peggle and the like and yeah this is it so i was just going to say it's like they came about at just the perfect time where we had the intersection of mobile gaming audience and mainstream gaming audiences with plants vs zombies and peggle but both games you know jump between those platforms and great i mean you can tell how big mobile had an impact on people growing up with horror gaming when you look at plants vs zombie 2 only ended up coming out on mobiles yeah after having ported the, the first game to consoles the second never came you can you can run it off emulator now but no it's that's it i mean they obviously the direction they went in was having the uh plant of the system be shooters which yes. you know, which again i ended up being this great introductory uh, aspects of horror gaming as well. I mean, it's very light in that sense, mm. and it is just you know, zombies are used for comedic effect like they always were. Um, but it's there again. My son plays um, Battle for Neighborville and Garden Warfare 2, you know, the, the, the last two games in that trilogy of games, and he really enjoys it. And it's like most people would tell you, Oh, well, surely they're dead games, nobody plays them, so he doesn't care. And it's like <laughs> he, he plays it, he'll play it against whoever, whatever, and he enjoys it. It's, it's all stems from having seen me play Plants vs. Zombies. And then his friends had been playing Garden Warfare 2, and then he wanted to play it as well. And it's like, and it sort of goes this round circle, you know, these games he played that made him play this game to make him play that game. And it's back there, and it's great. And I think that Plants vs. Zombies is a fantastic example of something that, again, it introduces concepts that are eventually, if you latch on to like, oh, zombies, those are pretty cool and whatnot or whatever. That's your first introduction to it. Like, it's very tame. It's for comedic effect. But I think it overlooks, a lot of people overlook the importance of just being exposed to something that's accessible to your age yeah. range or your age group or something like that, right? It's kind of like, I don't know, just like thinking about a history book where it starts to introduce certain concepts that are not going to be fully explored now, but the longer that you're experiencing something or reading something, it's going, and you obviously mature over the course of like your school career, education or whatever, you're going to come back to those very basic concepts in more in-depth and in the terms of horror, like more mature and more extreme versions at times of those things. And it's something that I think gets overlooked a lot because I have a number of like adult friends who are just not into horror, right? And that's Mm. totally fine. Everybody likes what they like. That's not the purpose of me saying that, but it's more so that, they have never been exposed to horror before in a lot of ways. So the idea that I'm going to sit them down and show them something like, I don't know, in terms of games like Dead Space or something like that, they're not going to latch onto that as quickly or if at all, if they haven't been exposed to horror in a more sort of casual setting, right? I think that, and there's no reason why I can't show them Plants for Zombies or something like that, but it's it's more difficult when it's kind of like, I want them to, I want them to experience this the most heightened version of a type of horror, like a dead space or a, re- a more recent resident mm. evil or something like that, but they haven't had that gradual introduction to it. And so it is important. I think early on getting some exposure to horror. And I think that 
for me again like a big part of that was zombies ate my neighbors mm. was one of those first horror gaming experiences that i ever had and this was even before i had started watching like horror movies or really knowing about horrors you know i grew up watching um a lot of the like Abbott and Costello meet the monsters type movies with my yeah. grandparents when I was growing up. And then that gradual introduction led them to being like, Oh, we'll show you night of the living dead when your parents go to sleep and you're visiting or whatever. And then that would snowball into like the thing and then the fly. And then all of a sudden it flourishes. But from a young age, I guess it's kind of like, well, we're not going to lead with the fly. We don't want to fuck this kid up <laughs> forever. But, and I think that in games, it might be a little different just in terms of like, the types, especially back in the day, like the types of horror games you could show to uh, younger audiences. Yeah. But it, equally so, I think Plants vs. Zombies stands as an example of a game similar to Zombies Ain't My Neighbors that not only has an impact on me, but I think that it's gameplay first in term in the classical sense, right? It is mm. repetitive gameplay, but there's a layer of strategy and there's a layer of fun that is kind of like the same 90 seconds that just loops. But it is done so in a way that you don't even notice that it's looping in a way it's just this sort of very arcadey i want to beat my last score i want to progress but there's also a certain level of challenge that grows and grows and grows yeah yeah there's a little flexibility in there as well to sort of make it what you want um but a key thing again going into sort of the modern way that it's approached it has to be mentioned because yeah, I think we've mentioned it when we were talking about Resident Evil and the way that series went and how it's influenced it is because indie games became big because of YouTubers you know, YouTubers going for these games that were oh, you know, performative as it might be you know these games that scared them um, <laughs> you know to perhaps you know a bit dramatic degree but that is the kind of content where parents may not let their kids play these games but they don't police their YouTube usage <laughs> and so their kids could sort of see you know illicitly see these games being played and be like their interest is peaked you know if I show my son like a brief teaser or a trailer of like a horror film but, you know knowing that it's fine but it gives enough of the concept behind it I mean I showed him the Thing trailer today like, <laughs> like a bit of that and he's like it's kind of like Among Us and I was like yeah <laughs> so, yep, you know, there you like, go yeah, there you go it's like which is cool but yeah just having that sort of look look at something where you I can't want to see more about this like you were saying before when you see those specials on TV with the the hundred movies or whatever and you know you kind of well I want to see what that's about you know I very explicitly remember seeing that with um, society and seeing the the most shocking scenes thing in a magazine and like the shunting thing was in there and I was like go see that what the hell that's about took me like 20 years to see it but still I saw it <laughs> you know. I only just saw it last year so I'm in the same I, I mean yeah this is just the mad just it <laughs> cannot fail to shock regardless I think it's just it's just gleefully out there but um yeah so that kind of game helped I think at that time um obviously it spawned a lot of copycats surprise surprise and a lot of, you know, a lot of derivative content that really didn't do much but it served as a gateway you know it's like how often is it that you know in any media that it's something that is inherently a bit trashy ends up being the thing that goes on goes oh I love this thing growing up mm. I remember seeing this I remember seeing that and usually the stuff that adults will shit on as you were saying you know the, <laughs> the stuff they'll go oh that, that's a kid's game that's rubbish or that's whatever it's like yeah but that's the point it gets them there 
it's a level you know it's like it's it's where they're encouraged to go beyond that you know feed that curiosity if they're enjoying something you know and we see it so many times you know Pool of Duty had a zombies mode for the last 13 years now you know mm-hmm. like and for most of its audience then was about 12 yeah, so, <laughs> right. so yeah. I mean, beyond the joke, it, it, that is the case. There's a lot of kids playing games like that, and then they get introduced to this mode where they, they can fight the zombies. And it again, hiding it away slightly in a game that you know the old American is like America doesn't mind you know guns of violence, but don't show them anything else. You know, it's like, <laughs> but so, yeah, so it's. It's cool in a way that it got hidden away like that, you know, beyond the questionable things about you know twelve year olds playing games like that. Says me, uh, letting his child play Call of Duty at ten. Within the last ten years or so, I think there's been this real push to. There's been a lot of developers. Maybe it's not a push, but there have been developers that have put forward a lot of quality titles that dabble in horror to varying degrees, but. Mm. They are quality titles at the end of the day, right? They're not yeah. so much just like, oh, well, there hasn't been a, a kid-friendly horror game in a while. Granted, of course, there are some out there like that that are like, oh, let's cash in on this trend or that trend and we'll make it age accessible to a wider group of people so we can cash in as quickly as possible and then get out once this fad or trend dies. Mm-hmm. But I think that overall, there have been a lot of games that at the core of them, horror has been part of it and the age accessible part of that has been the core identity of it. Yes. But at the end of the day, that core identity allows for that experience to really be enjoyed and accessible from all ages. And so a lot of the games that I kind of like have on my list that are either horror games or games that draw a lot of horror influence are not mature. They're all Mm. teen or in one or two instances, they're even E. And yet these are the sort of like foundational stepping stones. I mean, something like Oxen Free, which comes which comes to mind, is one of those games that is very much this like ghost love story, very melancholic, deals with some very mature themes in the context of what I would describe as sort of like a young adult framework, right? It's more yeah. about these sort of like teens and their relationships and maturity and the different choices and sort of just coming of age and yet it's very ghostly and there's the supernatural and things like that and yet it's not something that I as an adult when I played it I was probably I don't know 18 I was a young adult or maybe I was in my early 20s or something to that effect but it was something that I was drawn to it because it was horror it was story centric it was character focused forward And yet I never bounced off of it in the way that I think I might have assumed if I was younger, where I was like, oh, or if I was older, rather, kind of like, oh, well, this is like a T-rated horror game. This can't possibly be for me. And yet it speaks to that creative team and their ability to craft a story that is maybe initially intended for a younger audience, but it uses the genre in a way that genre fans of all ages, I think, can enjoy that. And there's merit to that. More so than it being like, well, we're just going to have like some cheap jump scares that don't really speak to the true essence of horror. Because obviously, I think, I mean, we've talked about jump scares before you and I, but it's kind of like, yeah, yeah, they have their place. But when that is the experience as a whole, that stands out. And that seems like more of an exploitation of the genre tropes rather than creating an experience that might be aimed at a younger audience. And yet it's true to horror. So horror fans of almost all ages have some draw to it or they have 
elements of it that resonate with them, even if, I mean, I think the kids in that game are like, what are they, 14 or 15 or something? And I played it when I was 20. And it's like, yeah, we have where we were. I was at such a different place in my life than those characters. And yet it was an experience that I was still able to enjoy because yeah. of my love of horror, but also, I mean, it's a quality game, writing-wise and whatnot. Is I mean, yeah, I mean, just just going on a side here, the, the writing in Oxenfree and the way it's presented is just exceptional. Yeah, I, uh, not even in After Party, the game they after, they didn't quite capture that magic the same way. But there, it's just so, everything flows so nicely. And interestingly, that came out like six, seven months before Stranger Things first <laughs> arrived. You know, like that, you know, but in that same year, and it just feels like you look at it and play it out and think, well, that must have been around that after Stranger Things, I think, because it's got all these vibes. Nope, it was there before right. it, you know, like doing the same thing. And it's crazy and you know, arguably written better, but <laughs> it's like weird. Yeah. And I like Stranger Things, but it's just like, that, you know, it's, it is such an exceptional thing to do. And games like that are fun for backseat watchers to sort of go oh, okay I can just see it. if someone's watching you play it then it, it ends up being a lot more interesting you know, in that sort of game and you want a bit of that to it you know you want something that someone can look at and go yeah okay. if it's not that it's the other side of the coin like I said the YouTube stuff where it's like you're waiting for jump scares you're waiting for the things that come out that make the person playing it jump around like a tit you know and do whatever and because that's that in itself is like a layer, you know, it's like seeing someone react to it, it's like, oh, you like that. And when you're young and you're invested in that kind of thing, and, and especially, you know, the online personalities like that, you kind of, you're going to be drawn into that whole oh, world. They're scared. I should be scared. Or, oh, like that. And they enjoy the excitement of watching that person be scared. Right. And it, in turn, that sort of, so I want to feel like that, you know, and mm. drives it forward. Well, I think also it just really speaks to the idea that Oxen Free is a it, it kind of just exposes the fact that like there are a variety of horror experiences out there. And that I think is a big thing. And that's something that I mean, when I think about my own relationship with like horror films specifically, right? When I was a kid, I was wowed by all of the like most gory things because it didn't resemble anything else that I ever watched. And don't get me wrong, I enjoy plenty of practical effects driven gory horror movies now but to say that those are the only types of horror movies that I gravitate towards is not true because I have had and I'm gonna say it's growth but I don't mean that in the traditional sense where like oh I grew out of the more visceral side of horror no there's a variety of experiences now within the genre that I seek out and it's the same exact thing with gaming and I think that perhaps this gets explored a little bit more in horror titles that are not exclusively emirated that there are these experiences that explore the other sides of horror because of the it's maybe it's viewed as a limitation of their rating and yet in that limitation more than likely there are facets of horror that are being explored that are not being explored in some of the let's say lesser passionate teams that might be making emirated horror experiences because like what are they going to fall back on well we can make this as gory or as visceral and as gruesome as possible because we can because of the rating there's no limits and i think that that's obviously not a blanket statement on any of the age uh, brackets for horror but i think that when you look at a lot of like t-rated horror games or even some e-rated horror games you're more often than not going to find especially from like dedicated studios or some a team like the team behind oxen free or something which doesn't have a lot of 
games or reputation under their belt, it's like, well, we want to make an accessible horror experience. So we have to make sure we deliver on these key elements. Otherwise, we get labeled as an afterthought kitty horror game, which you and I at least don't regard it that way. I'm sure, again, everything isn't for everyone, but I think in my mind that stands out as being one of those horror games that is able to capitalize on something that I think a lot of the sort of like heavy hitter developers maybe for lack of a better phrase don't capitalize on nearly as often as they should because there's a ton of mileage there and who's to say that developer isn't going to make an M-rated game down the line another horror game that's M-rated I was going to say that developer of course now is owned by Netflix ironic after saying about the Stranger Things thing that that now seems like an inevitability that they'll end up doing that but um yeah, you know, I think that might give them a bit of free reign to, to sort of make something a bit adventurous there, you know, and uh, I just think of what they've done, you know, with dialogue and choice and things like that, and imagine applying that to something that is Netflix game-based, I think that could be really interesting you know, in terms of what they do. I think the more I think about that, it's a very smart acquisition and a good way to sort of, again, show horror to an audience in a different way you know it's um interactive horror like that is certainly toyed with a few times at netflix you know with like uh, black mirror bandersnatch you know even like that escape the undertaker thing that they did recently you know so and it makes sense because when thinking about accessible horror things that people can watch i look at um supermassive games and you know the dark pictures anthology and until dawn until dawn is like perfect because it's like you are pretty much a, a choose your own adventure and anyone watching it can like be invested in it as it is like a horror film and like oh if you do this thing wrong or right that person's gonna die and you can make a game out of it to the point that you know when they went to do the dark pictures it literally became the point where it's like yeah now you can go and team with one of your friends and make that happen between you you're like oh what will they do what will you do and yeah it's interesting to, to have that sort of thing Well, I think also like taking it back to Stranger Things for a second, and this might be breaking out of our introductory to horror in a ways, just in terms of thinking about the age group that this, my example could uh, apply to. I think about something like Dead by Daylight that's tying into a lot of different properties. And while a majority of them are from R-rated horror films, right? I mean, there is that, uh, the mind flare, and I believe a couple of the human characters from Stranger Things have been... Demogorgon... Demogorgon, that's what it was. Yeah, Steve and what's the face? <laughs> Eleven? No, Nancy, that's it. Oh, no. Nancy, okay. But, yeah. I mean, that's an example of, it, granted, it's an example of a more mature audience, right? Granted, yeah. Dead by Daylight is an emerated game, but the idea being that that could be, again, much like we're talking about these sort of lily pad experiences from a young age into becoming a lifelong horror fan, this is the young adult sort of like lily padding, if you will, that could eventually lead people to being like, well, I dig Stranger Things. Let me check out this thing. This has an element of something I'm familiar with. And it's, of course, a more extreme version of that. But that sometimes is all it takes is that something familiar being expanded on in a way that is more mature. It's And in that maturity can be a new level of excitement or a new level in, oh, there's elements of horror that I'm being exposed to by something that I'm familiar with. But as a whole, it's an experience that I'm very unfamiliar with. And so yeah. that's something that I think is definitely promising. And it's something that I think gets overlooked a lot of the time, regardless of how, like, I'm not a Dead by Daylight player by any means, but it's the type of thing where I would love to see more examples of that. 
something that is horror from a younger age bracket blending into something that is for the next and granted I don't know how many experiences like that or examples like that could be out there but it's the type of thing that I feel you can't ignore because you have to have these lily pads not everybody has these massive leaps into the deep end if you will into like some of the classic not classic horror but like horror staples what people like you and I who have been horror fans now for multiple decades have been experiencing and having a love for but not everybody has the same exposure to the same types of media and the same uh, rather uh, brackets of horror media right yeah uh, funny you were mentioning that about um, Dead by Daylight because my son has repeatedly said doesn't want to play it enjoys watching me play it enjoys looking through all the the the, um, killers you know like that and learning about their stories you know the Demogorgon caught his eye then straight away because the look of it like you know he then dubbed the flower head uh, as he said <laughs> so, yeah you know he was like proper obsessed with it for a bit you know he was drawing it looking like that going on about watching Stranger Things and all this stuff he just you know he was really into the idea of it you know because of Call of Duty now he knows about uh, Ghostface you know mm. because you know, which is just nuts you know it's just like that it's again one of those things badger me going oh what can I, I want to watch Scream or I want to watch Scream no you know watching Scream it's like, it's like, it's like not necessarily because of the violence it's just because it's a whole lot of other actual films you had to watch before that's even relevant so right like, Otherwise, you know, what's the, you can't start with the meta take and then get to the other stuff. Games that, again, like you could be coming to fresh and not necessarily being a lead into something else. I mean, taking mm. it back even further, a, fr- a subsection of a franchise that I think anybody that's ever played games is familiar with is Mario. And granted, mm. I've never played the game that I'm about to bring up, but I've never played any of the Luigi Mansion games. But it amazes me that there is this subsection of a franchise that I think almost everybody has played at some point or another, various iterations throughout the years, they've got an entire horror section, basically, or offshoot from this franchise that has had now several iterations. It was not a one and done. And granted, there haven't been a great deal of these uh, Luigi Mansion games. At the same time, there's enough that you have seen that, okay, there has to be a dedicated audience to that. Otherwise, Mm -hmm. they wouldn't make it, right? I think that you get a certain amount a certain amount of sales is always going to come within the Mario or Luigi or whatever when that's attached to it. But the idea that they've made more than one and it was not this niche, weird offshoot that they did once and they were like, oh, this was not this didn't get received well or this didn't sell well enough to warrant another one. But there is a need, there is a a want for it to a certain degree. But yeah. of course, when you measure it up against like a traditional Mario experience, those are never going to be comparable. And yet I think there have been, what, three? Three or four mm. iterations now yeah. that shows a subsection of that fan base has an interest in horror, and they want to see something that is somewhat familiar but is explored in a more horror-focused context that, as somebody that has never played it, finds that very exciting considering it's an E-rated franchise. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the Switch as a console is a bit shitey, but Luigi Mansion 3 was lovely I love that game you know I remember playing the original game back on the GameCube and, you know I remember there being a lot of complaints at the time about the game well because they didn't have a Mario game at launch this is what we get you know oh it's you know it got treated like Luigi you know it, it was it's like oh well, it's just this that, and yet it was brilliant I, I think it was just 
so unexpected and kind of like set the bar for Nintendo later having obviously Resident Evil Remake and Resident 4 because it just it, it fit you know it felt comfortable then a bit more you know and it, it adds that sort of Mario-esque charm that kids would be used to or anyone familiar with Mario would be used to with like a bit of a spooky vibe and like it really works really well I mean like 3 is like inventive as any Mario game can be you know and it has all the usual spooky stuff you know it's like a Ghostbusters-y type game you know where it's a puzzle game it's not really a platform but it's yeah it's a remarkable what they do with that and it's a shame that it is like a back you know you know, not one of the main things. I mean, that's the only time Bloody Disgusting will probably ever be sent a Nintendo Switch code by Nintendo. <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> that's a, that which is to their credit, you know, it's like never asked them for anything before, never asked them for anything since. But when I asked for Booty's Mansion 3, they made the exception, which was, <laughs> which was great. But I think that that's really great in running with a very classical horror concept, right? The haunted house, the kind of Ghostbustery nature of it. And yet you're able to meld that around a kid friendly and, you know, again, granted because it's E-rated and whatnot, I refer to it that way. And yet adults of all ages are able to enjoy Mario and Luigi type experiences. And that comes back to sort of the first and foremost is from the gameplay aspect, but it's more so about Nintendo's ability to craft an authentic facet of the horror experience around something that can be enjoyed by all ages, right? And I think that that further fleshes out the idea that there's no one type of experience in a genre, which I think, again, it's easy, I suppose, for people on the outside that don't have a great deal of exposure or they don't have a um, they don't have an, a general interest in that maybe because of a lack of exposure. But I think it's very simple to sort of pigeonhole or put into a box certain things. And games like Luigi's Mansion, I think, do a fantastic job, even if you don't get them all the time. They do a fantastic job of opening people's eyes to it's not only fun from just a pure gameplay perspective, but also they're running with this aesthetic that feels genuine, obviously, to genre fans. But there's also just enough of that aesthetic there that can usher in the whole next generation of those potential genre fans in a way that doesn't feel at least I never felt that it felt condescending or it felt um, overly fan servicey and I guess I like I said I haven't played Luigi's Mansion but I think back to those haunted house sections from uh, Super Mario World those Mm. sections more so than any of the other ones have always stuck in the back of my mind the way that it made me feel I guess that would have been a better example than uh, Donkey Kong Country or whatever with this underwater (laughs) sections but anyways it those sections kind of like helped birth the horror fan in me in a way that you don't even realize but you realize that this section of the game feels different this feels strange in a way that when you're a kid, you can't describe. But then later on in life, you're like, oh, no, this led me to be like, well, ghosts and haunted houses seem kind of interesting. And you mentioned that offhandly. Like I mentioned it to my dad and he's like, well, let's check out Ghostbusters or let's check out this or that. And these kind of like age appropriate horror experiences that further kind of like light that fire, if you will, in terms of wanting to seek out these very different experiences that I've been having. And yet it feels different and it's more enjoyable or it's enjoyable in a way that I think a lot of mainstream media doesn't necessarily tap into as much as it could. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. It's um, still very much there to be tapped into. And yeah, so I think 
we've gone round and round with a few you know, sort of vague examples of you know saying certain games, but I think you had some games you want, sort of wanted to bring up in particular uh, as good idea, you know, good examples, and we got a couple as well, which I had as well. But yeah, if you if you wanted to kick that off. Yeah, so The Binding of Isaac is one that comes to mind right away, and it's one that I think is the perfect teen blending of classical gameplay that has an addictive quality to it, right? There's this roguelike element where you're exploring dungeons, and every single time you die, it's a brand new run, right? And you run through the zone, there's a boss at the end, and you go to the next zone after that if you conquer it, but if you die, you're starting back at square one. Granted, it's a uh, randomly generating environment with different rooms, different enemies, different bosses, so each run feels new. But what is remarkable about this game, I think, is the way in which it blends a lot of horror elements. And there is like uh, some religious, not undertones, I think in overtones in terms of the game (laughs) in a lot of ways, but it dabbles in horror in a way that it feels very accessible, right? There is blood, there's obviously violence in it, but it's not excessive. It feels like it is a part of this world that shares a lot of variables to something akin to like a Zelda, right? You have different items you pick up, you're clearing a room room by room until you find the boss, and yet you're fighting these horrific monsters that are not necessarily horrific because of their gore or their sort of like the blood that pours from them if you kill them, but it's more so just these sort of like gross amalgamations of meat in these ways that should not be natural and are not natural. And yet it's always stood out to me as something that feels infinitely replayable, right? I mean, I don't, personally, I play games and then I move on to the next thing, right? And it's very rare that I have one game that I will sink 100 hours or 200 hours into. Binding of Isaac is one of those games that I've sunk probably 200 plus hours into because it is not only, it's kind of like pop cap in a way, They have refined the very simplistically to describe gameplay down to the most pristine version that it could be. And it has this horror aesthetic that is not only the world, but the enemies to the items that you and weapons and things that you collect that it feels like an experience that on a primal level, it's fun to play. And yet it is existing within this world that I think could be very eye opening to teens that are kind of like into horror or Maybe they're interested in it, but they've never necessarily had the proper exposure to it. Binding of Isaac has always felt like that kind of game to me. Yeah, absolutely. Binding of Isaac is one of those that it feels weird that it doesn't get talked about as much as it should, because it's it's a really good game. It's like, but I think it's just I think its look sort of puts a lot of people off of sort of getting into it in the way they should, but. I will say that it's kind of an issue that I think now there have been two or three DLCs and then they did a definitive edition or something or yeah. other. And, it's like, and now they've got this whole other thing. And it's like, yeah, so it gets to be something else, you know, entirely not quite a sequel, not quite uh, fully a whole thing. It's, it's weird, but you know, it deserves bad credit. I think it just came at a time where it was in between things and wasn't on everything when it could have been and should have been. And, it's also never very cheap, I've noticed. Well, which, you know, it's commendable, but you know, a lot of the games that do well tend to have a decent sale here and there. But that's a game that always seems to be like <laughs> up there with Activision in terms of like, yeah, fuck it, 
it's near full price. That's your sale price. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My that? thing has always been if I need a chart to figure out what version I need to buy or what version I have and what version I should buy. Like as soon as you get into that, I think like 85% yeah. of consumers are like, well, I could just fucking buy this one thing that says, hey, buy me and you can play oh, it. Right. And then we'll figure yeah. that like it's kind of like uh, in that in terms of that structure. Like I think about Rainbow Six Siege, which every six months oh. I convince myself I'm going to get back into it, but I've missed a certain amount of updates and then I have to be like, well, am I going to buy this version or that version? And if I have to start going to like charts and spreadsheets, I'm like, I'm over this. I'm just going to go fuck off and play Warzone or something. Yeah. I mean, twice. Yeah. The, 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 that was a game very much from the beginning. I felt like that, but it's like, I don't see it. I don't see it. And nothing's convinced me since. Uh, but <laughs> I think you get a lot of horror games that come since that try to be like a step up from that. You know, the, uh, introductory point they'll, they'll take the ideas that are already there and then sort of try to evolve them unfortunately you're not going to hit the same goal with that because chances are your audience doesn't want to move out of their comfort zone I, I think of the Blackout Club for instance oh yeah which is a fantastic game you know that there's a you know it's takes that whole Left for Dead, Back for Blood thing, but turns into a more passive experience. Adds a very Stranger Things vibe, or even Spielberg style vibe of having kids taking on this entity. And it's really clever, and it's really smart, and has really good ideas, but it's too much to it. That's it. That's not a criticism of the game, really, because for anyone in general, that's what it should be. It should be as complex as it is. It should be, you know, it's not super complex, but it, it's enough that. If you're telling someone of a certain age who, or who's not generally interested in horror gaming and you start talking about, oh, yeah, but you've got to do this, do this, and then you've got to do that, do that, and you've got to, it, it, you're going to lose them. That's it. And and playing isn't easy to explain those things away. It's not like with films where you can say, well, just watch it, you know, and, and see. It's like here it's like you kind of need to know a few things. I've found that with plenty of games, even for me, where I'm like, it tries to do too much at once and just like no, I don't know just I'm, I'm away with this. this this isn't for me and that's fine when you think of everything that's really resonated with, with uh, modern audiences uh, and been big business it's the simplest stuff the, it's the stuff that cheap as it might be to do you know in terms of scares whatever and how the gameplay loops are they work and they work on the majority and that's the way it's got to be a lot of the time so it's a tricky balance to sort of find a way to introduce systems and I think live service has really helped a lot of um, games in that genre now because things like Dead by Daylight things like Among Us you know which you know, it's very baseline horror in terms of like it's the thing effectively but with cutesy characters um, but it's simple the idea is simple yeah, it's like exactly you can say I can say oh it's like a thing with cute the characters someone else can say well, actually it's like Cluedo you know that it's like online Cluedo for your friends like that it's fun it's silly like that and it has like just this slight level of violence and mild gore that is you know fine you know good enough that I'll let my six year old daughter play you know and as much as she takes great glee and murdering people it's still <laughs> at least you know you understand why you know like, right. you know, I think back to when I was 
uh, kid and just people would be like dragging you to church and having you double baptized to sort of make sure <laughs> if you start saying stuff like that but now yeah it's like it's um the sort of thing you need i think you need to have that simple loop simple stuff five nights at freddy's is a very good example again of like you don't have much to do but you have to look at the cameras and it, they found smart ways to evolve that over time. Like the VR version of Five Nights at Freddy's is like the ultimate version of that. Because it's a game where you don't have to move around much, but you, you are looking everywhere. You put yourself in that basic experience of being in this little booth, having to shut doors at a certain point, only a limited amount of electricity obviously to certain bits at certain times. And it becomes really horrible. You feel very much in that experience. And it's like, that's a cool way to evolve it unfortunately again VR which isn't obviously for everyone and not everyone can handle VR but I mean it addresses the motion sickness problem a lot because you're not really moving and you know stuff like that so but it's just accessibility in general in VR which is uh, people having the time and the money for it um, so you've mentioned that I'm going to be really boring and mention the most obvious thing here is a, an introductory thing which is Minecraft obviously oh there you uh, go well because I think back to my kids first real experience with any kind of terror in gaming and it comes to those night times uh, we discussed this on the survival episode didn't we and that that those first nights in Minecraft are, are stressful you know and terrifying yeah because you hear the noises and you hear the things like that and it's like I think we were watching like Minecon Live thing this week um, to see all the new updates and stuff. There's this enemy they're introducing now that is basically like lurks in the dark caves underneath everything like that, and it relies on sound. And they've introduced this block that if you walk on it, it makes certain noises, like a plant type thing. And the footage of that alone was so terrifying that my daughter had to run out of the room because she was like, no, because she didn't like the idea of ever being caught by this thing like that because it was making these noises and she knew that if the person on the screen was making this noise, it was going to be... And I thought, that's amazing. That game's still finding new ways to terrify people of a certain age. You know, like that. And that's cool. I love that. About it. And Minecraft is always utilising the dark, you know, in that way. Saying, oh, well, you know, you've got to make sure you've had enough torches and lamps or whatever in a certain area, or otherwise you're going to end up with enemies pretty much spawning on top of you. Like that. And it, it, I like that. About it. It's like, your home can never be truly safe if there's no light, you know, or, and you know, that sort of thing. So, that's why generally when you start that game, you make a small home that nothing can really spawn into, because you don't really have the resources and you're peeking out one hole to wait and see the sunshine. It's such an exquisite experience, and I just I've seen how many people have related to that. And again, this goes back to the YouTube thing uh, of how many people used to do this back in the day, and like how kids coming up saw that and saw all these experiences of like the first time they saw creepers or whatever like that. And it, you can imagine how excited that made them to. Sort of get into that and see that and it's just that's the way it should be with that game and with any game in the modern age it's the best way of showing what a game can do and I think that that though is very key in the horror experience and what really will flourish into hopefully a lifelong love of the genre is that 
you always remember the first way you feel when you experience something that is it doesn't even again it doesn't have to be in a horror game right because we're talking about minecraft which by most accounts you would not describe it as a horror game and yet you still feel that sense of horror when something sneaks up on you or when you see uh, a spider start a massive spider coming towards you or you hear that hiss behind you moments before you see that you're dead screen right i think that there need to be more games like that that are not horror. They are genre adjacent, if you will, for lack of a better term, yeah. that have moments like that that instill fear. And I think that that's, it again, a very obvious thing that gets overlooked a lot is that a game does not have... You don't have to feel fearful in a game that is exclusively horror, right? I think about... Um, oh, I'm fucking forgetting it now. Um, the game that you... It's similar to Minecraft, but you're in a body of water. You crash land... Oh, Subnautica. Subnautica. I mean, Subnautica is a game that I just played this summer for the first time. And it, A, kind of like triggered my fear of the endlessness of the ocean and being stranded. But I mean, even more so than that, it's just it's swimming into this abyss of nothing. And not only do you have to measure your um, your ability, your like air level, but also you don't know what's coming next. And there's Mm -hmm. a sense that you're never going to know when you're going in a certain direction or something could sneak up behind you. There's this, the unknowingness of games, whether it be horror or not. And that's not a horror game at all by any means. It's very much a survival exploration game, which I would have brought up in that episode we did if I had played it previously, but it taps into a more primal fear, which is, it's part of like being a person that everybody experiences at certain times. And it's not for everybody, but I think it's very telling, especially from a young age, when you play a game or you watch a movie that makes you feel like that, there's something about it that you want to come back to because it breaks you out of your comfort zone and your shell. And that experience is not for everybody, but I think that it's very important that those types of experiences are a part of all age groups in terms of media, whether it be games or movies, right? It's something that an entire experience doesn't have to be built around it. It doesn't have to be the end-all be-all of the experience but i think it is important in terms of thinking about like the next generation or wanting to have fans that Mm. are fans of not only games or movies but they can grow into becoming genre fans and things of that nature and those games all the games that we've mentioned we've used as examples they hold up in their own right most importantly as just games whether or not you Mm. like horror i feel that i would recommend all the games we've talked about to people based on the fact that again it comes down are they fun is this something you want to play for more than 10 minutes and then roll your eyes at and never play it again? No. These are things that you would play for what I would consider a substantial amount of time. And I mean, even when I mentioned something like Zombies Ate My Neighbors, at this point, that game is probably almost as old as I am and I'm 30 next year. So (laughs) it's the type of thing where I still play that game from a sense of nostalgia. But when you went back and played it and you didn't have necessarily the same experience with it that I did, you still were able to play a good deal of it and have fun with it and enjoy Hmm. it. And it's a game that, you know, if I had my younger cousins are visiting or whatever, and they don't like horror, I might throw that on and have them try it out. Or I might have them do Minecraft or Subnautica or something like that to see like, do they like feeling, do, do they notice that this is an experience that feels unfamiliar? And yet there's something about it that makes them keep coming back to it, whether or not, it's the horror elements or the sort of just gameplay funness uh, fun nature of the game. But at the same time, they're experiencing some elements of horror in something that they might not even realize, which is a very cool concept to me. Yeah. And I think of saying now, just now I was thinking that um, 
Another thing that modern horror gaming has brought, especially online, is another avenue for people to get into it, which is from the antagonist view. Now, with game, when you think of games like Dead by Daylight and Among Us, so, you know, you could be the bad guy, you can be the killer, and that suits people, some people better. You know, they, they like they like that idea a lot more. You're like, oh yeah, I can be the you know, the flying the ointment, the you know, one going after everyone. And it's, I think that, as much as anything, speaks to those, those games' success. You know, this double crossing and this like deviousness that you get there in a sort of horror flavored pill. It, yeah, it, I think that's a, a definitely another thing that contributes greatly to, to this widening of the audience. Um, what was your next pick? Uh, so two games that are somewhat cut from the same cloth that are not horror games at all. And yet I think they're two great examples of young adult experiences that take horror elements and yet they're not horror games at their core. And mm. that would be um, Gone Home and Firewatch. Two games that are not horror experiences and yet they borrow heavily, I think, elements of horror that are engrossing. And while with especially those two games, I don't necessarily know that a lot of people appreciated that they draw from horror elements and then, spoiler, they don't end up being horror, uh, caught like not traditional horror experiences that they might indicate they are. That draw, though, is, in, is undeniably, for me at least, like intoxicating to a degree that yeah. when I played them, they got me through a game experience that otherwise I don't necessarily know that I would have been as infatuated with. And yet I think that that actually speaks as like a strength of them. These are two games that heavily imply that there is more nefarious things afoot behind them and that these are going to be the crux of the experience. And while some people might view that as being a bait and switch to a certain degree, for me, I found that as an example of, well, you can take elements of horror and you can make an experience that ends up not being horror more yeah. enjoyable than anything else uh, the, in any other direction that it goes. And who's to say if that both of those games that had the sort of horror finale that I thought it was building to, who knows if they would have even pulled it off. But their ability to use elements of that at pristine storytelling moments and then kind of like elevate what is otherwise a very very human but very sort of maybe more traditional yeah. sense of an ending or a resolution it just heightened the entire experience for me yeah and you know if there are two more examples within that sort of subgenre that that really are that go beyond that in terms of horror you think about what remains of Edith Finch um, has kind of very real life horror and you know, literally a section that was creep show in there you know and it was greatly done complete with like Halloween-esque music and all this stuff and it was great but you know it had other things in there the whole story of what remains of Edith Finch is about curse a curse of death you know like that or what is perceived as this curse and like it deals with depression you know like child death and things like that and hugely impactful in in so many ways and you know it's one of my favourite games of the last decade or so it, it just does so much right in, in that regard it terrifies you in so many different ways without really being a horror game you know it's just like it's got a I hate to use him as an example because but a Tim Burton-esque look at you know approach to horror in terms of it's like where you kind of like revel in it a bit 
and then there's a little dark edge here and there like that i'm talking like tim burton at his peak not now obviously <laughs> when, I, when i say that not dumbo tim burton but <laughs> and I then mean, dumbo dumbo can be pretty terrifying <laughs> yeah i mean the cartoon yeah but uh his version terrifying for a whole different reason um <laughs> Child actors, the terrifying one. That <laughs> um, but yeah, then going beyond that, I look at Layers of Fear, which, you know, is a great introductory piece if you think about it, because there's no real penalty for failure. There's no failure penalty to it. It is very much like a, you experience everything. It happens as you walk through the levels and the story is told to you and some trippy shit happens to you. That's it. Yeah, you don't. You can't be killed or whatever you know that's it you just experience the story and so if you wanted to say play games like you were suggesting like gone home and then you want oh, i'd like a bit more you know like that that's a great example of it because that does sort of jump to the next level of it it's like no here you are here's a horror story you know set within those parameters where you aren't going to die you aren't going to fail necessarily you're just you're exploring, you're experiencing and getting to see the story through to its end regardless of your skill level really you know, that, that's what you want it's like, for instance there in, you know, The Layers of Fear is a game my wife was very into watching me play because of that, because you know mm-hmm. just watch it, watch someone play it and it works and again that's because it's an offshoot of that YouTube era of horror games that are, like they're designed to be watched but there, at least, it was designed to be watched because of the story, not because things jumped out at you every five seconds. You know, it, it's right. which, as I said, is quite ironic because many of the games at the beginning of that run weren't like that at all. You know, like we go back to Amnesia, mm. again, which was you know, very much intellectual horror, but it had moments in it that obviously suited that style of. Um, presentation of people could play it on YouTube and go, oh, this thing scared the life out of me and like that, it's great. But, <laughs> but it had that bit more to it, you know, and the, you know, we said before plenty of times, you know, how the Frictional went and took that and changed and sh- reshaped that idea so many times and that's great to see that you can see that not everyone's just thinking, we'll just keep making the same thing over and over again. It's like uh, it's nice to see, especially the early developers of that run, trying out different things. Some work, like uh, Frictional. Some don't, like Red Barrels with the Outlast <laughs> series. Um, you know, then this question: Did they ever work? But that, that's <laughs> <laughs> enough people think so. But again, this this for a whole different reason. It's yeah. great. I think it, yeah, it definitely just stems back to like there are a variety of horror experiences, mm. and the idea that I don't know, my, I always get hung up on when people say things like, "Oh, well, you know, anything that's not uh, a mature horror game or an R-rated horror, it's watered down." And I think that people might have that perception of something being watered down based off of what they've been exposed to. When hopefully this has been a very small slice of helping people to be exposed to things that dabble in horror that still have entertainment value for various reasons. And thinking back to like, again, like the next generation of horror fans, they have to be exposed to things like that because not everybody might have an experience that you and I had where we had an older brother, we caught a viewing of a movie that we shouldn't have been watching at two in the morning or whatever on HBO (laughs) or something that effect, right? But that's not going to be everybody's like horror origin story. So 
A more gradual introduction to horror is something that I think is definitely overlooked, but at the same time, like, there's definitely merit to each step along the way of each lily pad, if you will, to that more mature horror experience that you and I as adults enjoy so much. And I don't know, it's just, it always strikes me as very funny when I guess people are just like, well, you should just go right to the the best example of what a horror game is. And it's like, that's not truly realistic, right? Not everybody mm-hmm. starts with a Resident Evil or a Silent Hill or a more modern audience. Not everybody starts with a, um, what was it? Outlast or whatever. It's yeah. just, you have to think about that. Not everybody comes from the same place and has the same exposure and the same experiences. So I always look back to the most basic or the most introductory level of everything, movies, games, what have yeah. you, because how do these age brackets and the developers of these age br- that make media for these different groups they're comprised of adults so how do they take their love of horror make it still apparent but make it more accessible and that's yeah. something that you know who knows in the next few years maybe we'll have another uh, another chat about horror games that can be great introductions to the genre and whatnot because who knows you get a whole new generation of people that want to develop games for a certain audience and yet they take all of the more than likely extreme versions of horror that they've been exposed to. And they're able to make elements of that compatible for a younger audience. It's a concept that definitely fascinates me. And it's one that I think doesn't get explored nearly enough. No, uh, it, it really doesn't. Um, I mean, and I, there's this whole other sort of audience that does enjoy a bit of this and that, you know, they, they like certain TV shows that are horror led and like the, that becomes its own thing. And, for them even to be introduced to horror games is, is a different story, you know? Mm. Um, because then you're working on a level, well, okay, they can handle some horror in any other setting, but obviously games make it a bit more personal, a bit, you know, you're a bit more involved in what's going on. So then you're thinking, well, do you jump all the way in or do you sort of go somewhere in the middle where you have agency but you're also kind of a bystander to it. And yeah. that's where I think, you know, the adventure style games of the modern era that are horror based come into it. So I think like Telltale's Walking Dead series mm. or, or Supermassive with Until Dawn are great examples of like, you could just show someone who's interested in like certain horror movies and TV and what, you know, just sort of get them involved with the sort of biting the cliches, you know, and giving them, oh, look, all those things you have to do, how about if you were in that situation, here you are, uh, you can make those decisions. I mean, Until Dawn, for instance, is a bit more fun in that regard than, say, The Walking Dead, where it's like, the game will devastate you at least twice a season, you know. <laughs> so, like, the amount of time, I mean, I just come up on the fifth time of playing the first season of The Walking Dead and mm. getting to the bit with Duck, uh, oh. it, it just wounds me more and more every year I think it's worse now because my kids that age it's like oh, it's awful to have that but um, yeah and I, I love that about it it's I think the, the fact while the stories aren't really like I mean the, the common complaint is that, that oh well you know you're not really shaping the story that much it's like yeah but you are having an impact you know you're having an impact that you wouldn't normally have and you're doing like light puzzles I think it just comes back from 
the age of like, oh, but this is more adventure games used to be. It's like, no, this is like the simplified, streamlined version of it. The Telltale, you know, but even before Walking Dead had been doing and sometimes getting right, sometimes not. You know, Sam and Max series, they did well. Jurassic Park, pfft, you know, that was awful. <laughs> but this was like perfect, you know, especially because they took the world of the comics rather than the TV series. You know, it stands <laughs> to this day. You know, the only good Walking Dead games are the ones that don't involve the TV series. Right. Uh, yeah, so, you know, but all the same, it was cool that it had little elements there that if someone was coming to the game from that, you know, mm-hmm. oh, look, in the first season, you get to meet Glenn and, you know, for a bit and stuff like that. And Herschel's there for a bit. And, you know, it, it's cool to have those little moments like that. And then by the time you're not really having those characters anymore, I think the last time you really have a character from that, the comics is Jesus. But. Mm. Yeah, but it's rare and you get more time with these original characters, which, you know, to this day, I still just hate that they never got introduced in any mainline comic or TV show. You know, know, obviously some understandable because they're dead, but, (laughs) you know, you you, you always were, oh, what if Kenny was in The Walking Dead TV show or, like, or would Clementine turned up at the end of Mm. Walking Dead? Stuff, Stuff like that is... To, it it didn't get appreciated the way it should have I think because everyone was very much fascinated with the TV show at that point and not really the comics you know? so and you know now especially with the um, collection went out on last generation consoles where, where they up the graphics and it's like a whole new style and it looked more like the comics than ever you know? mm. and I think it's the best way to experience it which is um, four mainline seasons and the two spin-offs that they had, which introduced a show, which is really good if you want like a sort of introduction to that character beyond the comics and the show. You know, it's like sort of details her life before it all in a nice way. Well, you just made me think of something that I think kind of it builds off of what you're talking about, right? Is that yeah. you start to see maybe from the TV show you find the games or from the games you're like oh check out the show or the comics yeah. and this is the kind of like last thing I'll say about this is that I see a lot of this in a comparison to like Fortnite and this is mm. something that we've been talking about a lot over the last few years or so and the idea that a lot of horror properties are ending up in this very teen centric game mm. and whatnot. and we're seeing that in like Predator Xenomorph even things like I think Terminator or Sarah Connor at one point showed up yeah. or uh, Venom just did at one point but it's like these more horror-centric characters and IPs where I would assume a majority of the teen fan base or even younger fan base have not seen these films. Yeah. They're being exposed to these horror legends in a lot of ways. And, you know, you mentioned it with Warzone. Also, like, you're getting Leatherface, you're getting uh, Jigsaw, you're getting uh, Ghostface and all these things. And I think that that shows there's an application for more mature horror experiences to show up in a way that it might come off as being like sort of just, okay, let's cash in on this popularity or something of that effect. But at the same time, it is a modicum of uh, maturity, like restriction in terms of experiencing those. Right. Yeah. And I think that even if it's something as simple as seeing a leather face skin in Warzone or whatever, it's like, at least it might generate the conversation of, well, who the hell's Leatherface? Who is this person? And then it has somebody that can go off and look up the film and then they check it out and then they're like, whoa, 
This is unlike anything I've ever seen. Let me check out the more, even though with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, like watching the most recent edition, I don't know. But just the idea that you're getting a sort of exposure that is more palatable for, chances are, the age group that is experiencing it for the first time. Yeah. I think there's a great deal of value in that, that a lot of people disregard as being a cash-in. And even if it is mostly a business decision, more than a creative one, I, I don't see that as being a negative that a lot of people do. I see that as being seeing the next generation be exposed to what the hell's a xenomorph that yeah. shit like that and then it's like well maybe they'll go check out alien or aliens or whatever and then that spawns into oh let me go check out the comic books from dark horse or let me watch the films or i'll go play alien isolation or something and there's just I, i'm always in favor of so many opportunities where there's the potential for experiencing adjacent forms of media that dabble yeah. in horror or are horror in a lot of ways and that's something that I just, I don't know, the older I get, I don't view that as something that should be uh, chastised or something that should be kind of like stamped out. It's always something that I'm in favor of because who the hell wants less fans in a genre that you yourself have loved for so long now that, I don't know, the older I get, I'm just like, oh, it seems that there's more people that horror or elements of horror appeal to than when I was a kid growing up and wanted to talk about watching Dawn of the Dead for the first time and kids in my class were like, what the hell is that? I don't know what that is or that's weird. (laughs) So I don't know. I'm always in favor of, uh, of stuff like that. Absolutely. Absolutely. But, uh, I think that that'll be a, a wrap for our Halloween introductory to horror sort of, uh, spectacular, if you will. I'm sure it's a, (laughs) a topic that we will return to at some point, whether in the, uh, the year or in the years to come, hopefully if we're, we will definitely still be doing this, but it's, uh, it's a type of conversation that I think gets overlooked a lot. And it's one that out of the few examples we gave, it's definitely got more depth to it than we could ever uh, hope to cover in an hour or 90 minute episode. But uh, Neil, as always, it's a pleasure to uh, chat horror with you for safe room. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to another episode of safe room. Please consider following and rating the show on your preferred podcast platform. And for updates on the show, follow us on Twitter at safe room pod. Thanks again for listening. And we'll see you guys next week.